Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Episode 6, Season 5 of the Netflix series The Crown features a heartrending scene of the Romanov family being gunned down in the basement of Ipatiev House. The Crown is becoming notorious for dramatizing history past the point of fact, but sadly, the horrifying scene is pretty close to what we know happened in reality. It is also true that Tsar Nikolai's first cousin, King George V of the UK, had the chance to save them, but because of fears of being associated with a Russian tyrant and a German sympathizer in the midst of World War I, the British king declined to rescue his relatives. In last week's episode, we learned how the British and Russian royal families were related through sisters, Princess Alexandra and Princess Dagmar of Denmark. The former married the future King Edward VII of the UK and the latter the future Tsar Alexander III of Russia. Today, we'll meet their brothers, Frederick VIII of Denmark and George, who was surprisingly elected King of Greece. He was the grandfather of Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. Because of Philip's many genetic ties to the Romanovs, it is true that he provided the crucial DNA sample, which identified their remains in 1998. And now, without further ado. The Sons of King Christian IX of Denmark Christian IX of Denmark is one of the most prolific patriarchs in royal history. His six children inherited, were elected to, or married in to the most powerful monarchies of 19th century Europe, and their descendants have occupied nine different European thrones. Denmark, of course, but also Norway, Belgium, the United Kingdom, Greece, Spain, Russia, Romania, and Luxembourg. King Christian came from a relatively humble royal background. He was the fifth son of a minor and rather poor branch of the Danish royal family. At birth, he wasn't even in the line of succession, so he took up a career in the military. He fell in love with his cousin, Louisa of Hesse-Kessel, and they were married in 1842 and lived a happy and simple life together in the relatively modest Yellow Palace in Copenhagen. She raised their six children with practical skills, the boys attending military school and becoming naval cadets like their father. But all that changed in 1852. The King of Denmark, Frederick VII, had never had any children, and an heir needed to be selected. 
Frederick's closest living relative was his second cousin, Louisa of Hesse-Kessel. At the time, it was against Danish law for a woman to inherit the crown, and as her husband also had a connection, if slightly more distant, to the king, it was decided that he would become the heir to the throne of Denmark. The fact that they had six healthy children to follow them also made the couple an excellent choice to be the next king and queen. In 1863, Christian ascended to the throne as King Christian IX, and the down-to-earth family moved from their ordinary life into the royal palace. The eldest son, Frederick, became the crown prince. And as Denmark was a minor power in Europe at the time, but the family was now in the official royal club, the two younger sons, Wilhelm and Valdemar, were both seen as attractive candidates for appointments to other thrones which became vacant around the continent. Thus, this once insignificant family became major players in 19th century European politics. Let's meet the three distinguished sons of King Christian IX. King Frederick VIII of Denmark. As Frederick, like his father, was not born with any expectations of one day ruling a nation, he was raised rather differently than most future monarchs. Instead of private tutors, he was sent to school and therefore had a great deal of exposure to people and life outside the palace. In 1863, the year of his father's ascension to the Danish throne, 20-year-old Frederick moved to the United Kingdom to study politics at the University of Oxford. During school breaks, he visited his sister, Alexandra, and her new husband, Edward, the Prince of Wales. He and Edward's sister, Helena, took a liking to one another, but her mother, Queen Victoria, didn't want Helena to marry a foreign prince and move away, so she put a stop to the relationship. Frederick was instead encouraged towards a match with Princess Louisa, the only surviving child of King Carl XV of Sweden and fourth of Norway. It was hoped that an alliance between the great northern powers would usher in a new era of peace and cooperation in Scandinavia. And luckily, when Frederick went to Stockholm to get to know Louisa, the couple enjoyed each other's company and agreed to the union. They married in 1869 in the royal palace in Stockholm and then moved to Copenhagen where they had four sons and four daughters. But the marriage did not turn out to be a happy one. Louisa was extremely strict and harsh with the children, insisting that they walk 10 miles a day before breakfast and eating identical meals of veal cutlets, potatoes, and spinach day in and day out. She often chased an offending child with a stick and they would hide under their father's desk so that he could defend them. This abuse in the household drove Frederick and Louisa apart and they began to live separate lives. Frederick also had to contend with existing in his father's shadow, waiting in the wings for his chance to be king. As King Christian attained the age of 87, Frederick had a very long time to wait. His father shared with him virtually no political power and sometimes refused to let him speak in public. Christian IX died in 1906 and Frederick finally became king at the age of 62. He was more liberally minded than his father had been and supported the parliamentary system. But as he only lived to reign for six years and by this time was plagued with bad health, he wasn't able to make much of a mark on the country. While returning home from holiday in Nice, the king spent the night in Hamburg. He went out for an evening stroll alone and collapsed. He was discovered by police and taken to the hospital where he was declared dead at the age of 68. His eldest son followed him to become King Christian X of Denmark, 
and his great-granddaughter is the current queen, Margrethe II of Denmark. His second son inherited the Norwegian throne from his maternal uncle and became King Håkon VII. Thus, Frederick's great-grandson is the current King Harald V of Norway. Frederick's granddaughter, Astrid, married King Leopold III of the Belgians, and her grandsons are Henri, Grand Duke of Luxembourg, and King Philippe of the Belgians. Wilhelm, King George I of Greece Wilhelm enrolled as a naval cadet along with his elder brother Frederick. He was a lively, funny child and loved a good prank. Meanwhile, revolutionaries in Greece had deposed their German-born king, Otto. But rather than a republic, they wanted a new king. Britain, France, and Russia, who had aided Greece in their war of independence against the Ottoman Empire 30 years earlier, held the power to name the new Greek monarch. Queen Victoria's second son, Prince Alfred, was put forward but rejected. Greece was wary of having a British, French, or Russian king who would set those three world powers out of balance. So the British Foreign Secretary had an idea. At the wedding of Edward Prince of Wales to Princess Alexandra of Denmark, special attention was paid to Alexandra's 17-year-old brother, Wilhelm. As he was from a minor European power, he was seen as an ideal candidate, and the secretary was impressed with the young man's level-headed intelligence. As part of the agreement, Britain handed the Ionian Islands back to Greece. In 1863, the Greek National Assembly elected Wilhelm King of the Hellenes. Back at home in Denmark, the teenage naval cadet had no idea he was now a monarch. He opened his packed lunch and read the news of his election on the newspaper that had been wrapped around his sandwich. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker, We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. When the Greek delegation arrived in Copenhagen to offer him the crown, he accepted, becoming the first king in his family, as his father would not ascend to his own throne for another seven months. Wilhelm was heartbroken to leave his home, but he nevertheless took the regnal name of King George I and traveled to Greece to rule a country he had never seen. When he arrived, so many Greeks had shown up to welcome their new sovereign that it took all day for his carriage to travel the short distance from the harbor to the palace. He was determined to be a good leader and studied diligently, quickly learning the Greek language. He dismissed his Danish advisors in favor of Greek ones and frequently walked the streets of Athens and traveled around the country to get to know his new people. He pushed the Greek assembly to complete a new constitution with representatives elected by direct, secret, universal male suffrage, a first in modern Europe. 
He swore to defend the Constitution and defer to the legislative authority of the elected officials. George knew that the future of Greece depended on maintaining good relations with the three great powers of Europe. So he decided to ally himself with a Russian bride. And as Russians and Greeks shared the Orthodox Christian religion, he thought it would help to ease his new bride's transition to queen. He traveled to St. Petersburg to meet all of the eligible grand duchesses and took a liking to 15-year-old Olga Konstantinova, the niece of Tsar Alexander II. The couple were married in the Winter Palace and then returned to Athens. Olga was not yet ready to carry the heavy mantle of wife and queen. During her first grand ball, she went missing. She was eventually found under the stairs playing with her dolls and crying. At just 16, she gave birth to the couple's first child, Constantine. Seven more children followed over the next 22 years. George ensured that all of his children grew up culturally Greek. Olga became good friends with her sisters-in-law, Alexandra, the Queen of the UK, and Dagmar, Tsarina of Russia, and the trio often dressed alike. King George promoted several expansions of Greek territory, and through treaties and conflicts, the nation was doubled in size during his reign. In 1888, Greece celebrated George's Silver Jubilee and took stock of their increased prosperity. The Corinth Canal was built in 1893 and increased the nation's sea trade. In 1896, the Olympic Games were revived in Athens, and King George presided over the opening ceremony. Things were going well for King George until he decided to go to war with Turkey over the long-disputed island of Crete, and lost badly. The country turned on their king, and he considered abdication. While riding in an open carriage, he and his daughter Maria were shot at by an assassin. George shielded Maria and both escaped unharmed and gained sympathy and popularity. In 1912, Greece, Montenegro, Serbia, and Bulgaria joined forces against Turkey in the First Balkan War. Crown Prince Constantine commanded the Greek army in the retaking of the northern city of Salonika. King George traveled there to celebrate the victory with his son and people. He was only months shy of his golden jubilee and was making plans to abdicate in favor of his son. While in Salonika, he went out for his daily stroll just as he had always done. His advisors were worried for his security in the recently liberated city, but the king brushed off the suggestion of guards. While out walking, he was shot in the back by a madman and died instantly at the age of 67. King George laid in state in Athens for three days. His coffin was draped with the flags of Greece and of his homeland, Denmark. He was succeeded by his son, King Constantine I. His great-granddaughter, Alexandra, became a queen consort of Yugoslavia. His great-grandson, Michael, was the last king of Romania. His great-great-grandson is Philippe VI, the current king of Spain and his grandson, Prince Philip, married Queen Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom. Prince Valdemar. The baby of the family was doted on by his older siblings. They often took walks together along the harbor in Copenhagen, and Valdemar became captivated by ships and sailing. He was thrilled to become a naval cadet like his older brothers. He insisted upon not receiving any special treatment because of his status as a prince and worked hard alongside his fellow sailors. In 1874, at the age of 16, he accompanied his father on an official visit to Iceland to celebrate the nation's millennium. 
Once Valdemar entered his 20s, his mother, Queen Louisa, began to search for a wife to equal the extraordinary matches she had arranged for her other five children. With in-laws from the most powerful monarchies in Europe, the United Kingdom, Russia, Sweden, and Germany, the only major European power missing was France. Emperor Napoleon III had recently died in exile, but it was rumored that the French were considering restoring the pre-revolutionary monarchy and bringing the Bourbon dynasty back into power. The great-granddaughter of the last king of France, Louis-Philippe I, was 20-year-old Princess Marie of Orléans. Marie was a highly intelligent and outspoken young woman who was unimpressed with the royal way of life. She preferred to pursue her interests in education and art. When invited to the UK to be inspected by Queen Victoria as a potential bride for one of her sons, Marie told the Queen that she wouldn't like living in England as it was far too grand. But she did find Valdemar attractive and accepted his proposal of marriage. As she was Catholic and he Lutheran, a special dispensation had to be obtained from the Pope, and the couple agreed that their daughters would be raised Catholic and their sons Lutheran. They had a grand wedding in Paris, and then traveled to Denmark together to take up residence in the comparatively modest yellow palace Valdemar had been raised in before his father was named heir to the throne. Upon their arrival, they were greeted by a crowd and a public dignitary who gave a formal speech of welcome. Someone in the crowd threw a bouquet of flowers to the princess, which missed her grasp but hit the dignitary in the face. Marie burst into laughter and her relaxed and unpretentious style endeared her to the Danes. The newlyweds got on well and Marie enjoyed meeting Valdemar's friends from the Navy and their wives. She quickly learned Danish and often shocked other royals by repeating the rough speech of the sailors. She also taught the Danish royal family how to play cards. Valdemar was offered a throne of his own, as most of his family members had. His brother-in-law, Tsar Alexander of Russia, wanted him to come to Bulgaria to rule there, but he declined the appointment as it would put him in direct conflict with his brother George, now King of Greece, and because he and Marie were content in Denmark. Valdemar continued his naval career and traveled to the West Indies, Constantinople, India, China, and Japan. At home, the couple shared a lively social life and befriended many actors, artists, and other interesting characters not normally deemed suitable company for members of the royal family. Marie herself was a talented painter and sculptress. She astonished and intrigued her royal relations with her eccentric behavior, including having a special saddle made so that she could ride a bull, becoming a volunteer firefighter, and getting an anchor tattooed on her arm in honor of her husband. Marie had a difficult time delivering the couple's fourth son, Vigo, and her doctor gave her morphine for her pain. She became addicted to the drug, but with the support of her family, she was able to recover. She later gave birth to their fifth and final child, a daughter, Margreta. Valdemar and Marie were lenient with their lively four sons and daughter, and they were seen as the wild and naughty children compared to their more disciplined cousins. In 1905, Valdemar was once again offered a throne, this time Norway's, but he again refused as he was perfectly content with his life as a sailor prince. He instead suggested his nephew Carl, who became King Hakon VII. Marie fell ill with pneumonia and died at the age of 44. 
Valdemar and three of their sons were in India at the time and were heartbroken at the news. Valdemar lived as a widower for the next 30 years. He died in 1939 at the age of 80 and was the last surviving child of King Christian IX. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be putting out new episodes each Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos. Thank you for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.